This is Voicemail, the Universal Postal Union's podcast covering the wonderful world of mail. I'm your host, Ian Kerr. Joining me in this episode to give an expert analysis of the circular economy is Stefan Sikars, Managing Director at the Directorate for Environment and Energy, United Nations Industrial Development Organization. It's a timely and important discussion for the postal sector. So coming up in just a moment, Stefan Sikars. Joining me on the line is Stefan Sikars. Stefan is Managing Director at the Directorate for Environment and Energy, United Nations Industrial Development Organization. And Stefan, we're going to get stuck into circular economy in a moment. But before we do, can you just share an early memory for you of the post, whether it's the post office or your local postman or something like that? Well, the first time that I dedicated really remember uh, of having dealt with a post was when I sent um, a postcard to participate in a sweepstake. And I remember it because after I have forgotten about the whole action, months later I received a parcel and in it were two packages of cookies, which was my win. So this was a great surprise, and that is actually my first memory of interaction with the Postal Service. Might not have been my first interaction, but this is what I clearly remember. There you go. The post delivered your winnings. That's fantastic. Well, let's get into the circular economy. Can you give us a bit of a definition of what circular economy is? Because it's a phrase we hear bandied about a lot. (laughs) <laughs> it'd be good to get a definition of what it is and what it means for the, the way forward for, for, for the planet, I suppose. Uh, that's, a, that's a big question. And um, circular economy is uh, a little bit complex, but not too dramatic. So um, see, you have uh, what you want to do is actually, as you say, you want to save the planet. So how do you save the planet? Um, globally speaking, you one way to do it is to use less resources, less energy, but also less materials for everything we want to do. Keep doing more or less the same or similar things as we do today, just using less, uh, using less material, using less water. And how would you do that? Um, and why would you do that? I mean, at this point in time, what we do is we we extract from the ground, we take from agriculture, we take out of our streams so many resources in addition to energy. It is just amazing. And um, a lot of these resources, actually, some of them find their way into products and into services, but particularly products. A lot of them end up as waste and a lot of the products in the end as well. And the thought of circular economy is, let's try to minimize this. Let's try to create as little waste as possible to focus the use of our resources, what is really necessary to provide a certain service for a given problem, whether it is a cardboard packaging packaging for a parcel or whether it is a car or a computer. And there are many, many steps to optimize that. It it starts with the fact that when you generate the resources, and again, finite resources like minerals, oil, 
or renewable resources like agricultural products, wheat, leather, um, to do so in a way that in the production of those, you consume as little resources as possible. And then you make a product out of it first by designing the product and, and you try to design it so it lasts long and it can be repaired. And at the end of its life, it can be recycled. That means it can be easily taken apart in its, into its resources. And then these leftover resources can become the basis for new products. And in your design, you can even make it in a way that this recycled resources are a particularly good starting point to actually make your product. And then you move to actually manufacturing it. And again, there, there are numerous ways of saving resources. You can reduce the amount of energy. You can recycle the water in a process. You can, if you make jeans, you can minimize the cuttings. Or if you still have them, you can recycle them into new material. Um, plenty of opportunities in the manufacturing process. And then it becomes really interesting. We go into the use phase. And um, many of the goods we have, we actually hardly use. Uh, one example for a circular economy principle is the original thought of Uber, where you have a car, which is actually used only 5% of the time. Private car, that's a typical number. And the 95% of the time it stands around. Um, Uber or also... Um, car sharing services will increase dramatically the time that your resource is actually being used and with that make it less necessary to produce in this particular case so many cars but the thought can be extrapolated to many other uses um, and the same thing is then extending lifetime of equipment if you extend the lifetime of whatever product you have say an air conditioner by a factor of two that means you save the resources in one air conditioner completely because it never needs to be produced. You will keep your existing one twice as long. And in doing so, you might have to repair it. And, and this is in the repair, in the extension of lifetime. This is where the economy part comes in. These are interesting opportunities to earn money. Every time you regenerate the value of your product from a broken product that currently you might simply throw away into a product which actually has a second, a third, a fourth life. You add a tremendous value, and this is kind of an indicator for how much you can charge for that. Whether it is a simple repair, whether it is an upcycling, whether it is a remanufacturing, all of these are tremendous opportunities to increase revenue. And then at some point in time, of course, you reach the end of its life. And today, if something becomes waste, in most countries in this world, it's only and nothing else but a liability. With circular economy, you facilitate that more and more parts of your waste, ideally almost all of your waste, can be extracted and utilized and become from a liability, a resource, an asset that you can sell. And the nice thing about this is what you have now created is an, uh, an economy where many people see economic opportunities to do something which is actually good for the environment, to extend the lifetime of products and of resources as much as they can. 
And um, in reality, if you really want to change the world globally in every country, whether in an industrialized country with a semi-perfect administration, enforcement, legislation, or in the least developed countries where capacities are very limited, if you want to change the world, the easiest thing is to go with something that gets economic benefit. Because then you can limit your regulation to keeping things on track and ensuring that you do not have a number of unwanted side effects, but essentially things take care of themselves. And uh, that is doable for many, many countries in the world. While a top-down regulation, which is effective in its enforcement, is not possible for that many. So for me, circular economy is something which is an economy-driven, powerful way to benefit the environment. Now that we've got this overview of what it is, where, how would you describe progress to this point? Can you point to any good examples or best practices that have been implemented anywhere or even some countries that are more advanced when it comes to uh, embracing the circular economy concept that we can all learn from? Because it's an economic concept, in many, many cases, particularly in industrialized countries, circular economy principles are already adapted strongly. Um, a lot of companies which are in a tight market, in a competitive market where they can't grow, but where they have to compete in a limited size against uh, others, they are, of course, working on cost-cutting. And cost-cutting frequently means optimizing their production processes in order to use the minimum amount of resources. There are many, many examples, but the more you go out of the confinements of restricted markets, the less this is already advanced because it costs investment, it costs time for the management. So um, companies have their market, they exist otherwise, um, or they, they exist otherwise they wouldn't have their markets. So they start to be happy with what they have and not advance on circular economies. Countries which have already advanced are in particular the European Union, which has set itself on the regulatory side very strong targets and uh, with the support of industry and in a lot of consultations with them. But this is, of course, a limited amount if you want to address global problems like climate change and biodiversity loss and pollution. So most of the other countries are somewhat slower. You have fast movers still Japan, South Korea, in the developing countries and middle-income countries, maybe Uruguay, Chile, um, South Africa to a large degree. But many countries are only looking at parts of circular economy. For example, many of my counterparts, they when they hear circular economy, they think of waste and recycling and nothing else. Um, that is um, not a thought which is really helpful on the way to the circular economy. Waste is essentially, in my eyes, um, when you have lost something. The ideal circular economy wouldn't even know waste anymore. So the focus uh, in some countries is on waste. They are advancing on waste, but this will not really drive us towards a true circular economy.
um, classical examples that are moving forward, I mentioned the textile industry, which actually generates an amazing amount of waste, for example, from cuttings, uh, for example, from unsold merchandise. Um, and these amazing amount of waste, they are today often stored away or thrown away or burned. These can be recycled. Companies are moving forward. The amount of recycled material and textile is constantly increasing. So that is a sector where a lot is happening, actually. Um, examples which are very well known are mobile phones, which where you have for many companies already today buyback schemes. The phones are disassembled and the raw materials reused for new phones. Uh, this is on the high-tech side. Uh, even more high-tech might be companies which are producing turbines for aircraft. And uh, they are actually nowadays monitoring their turbines throughout the lifetime. They recognize early on the need for repairs, for service, for replacement. And with that, they substantially increase their resource efficiency. But it really goes down to packaging where you can, if you have cardboard, you just find examples where companies are simply getting so much more efficient, using less steam, using less water, using less electricity to build their cardboard boxes and to find ways to get them back to recycle them again. Now, you are one of the contributing scientists when the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change received the Nobel Peace Prize in 2007. So what's the connection then between sustainable solutions like circular economy and peace? And how can these solutions contribute to, say, the 2030 agenda? For me, the circular economy is essentially a way to help all people to live in this one limited world. I think one of the things, one of the underlying thoughts of circular economy is a recognition that our world is limited and that is for many people still a thought that they are not very strong in um, accepting. But this is just a fact. The world is limited. We have to live within its resources and we have at the same time an increasing population. So if you want to live within its resources, both those resources that we harvest to make products, as well as the space to dump waste, whether it's the air, the soil, the water. If we want to live with, within them with more and more people, we have to be more towards circular economy, more efficient. If we don't do that, then the fight for resources for decent living will increase friction increases and that of course leads essentially in the end to problems with stability and peace whether it is migration whether it is acts of aggression various ways all one overarching problem um, lack of stability is leading away from peace and the lack of resources for all of us will lead exactly into that direction. It's hard to have a conversation these days without mentioning the pandemic. So let's ask the question now, has the pandemic uh, affected the, the status quo? Has even circular economy helped us deal with 
COVID or prepare for a post-COVID recovery and building, here's another phrase we hear a lot, but resilient economies. Circular economy has, I think, done that only to the degree that it was already existing. It has, in the last 18 months, advanced substantially, but I would say rather despite or maybe independently of the pandemic. It advanced in many fora. Governments have moved together more. There was much more exchange. There was much more pressure towards moving globally to a circular economy because it was getting more and more accepted as a solution for many of our global challenges. But in the actual sense, yes, it has the ability to increase the resilience, but the timelines of circular economy and the timelines of, in particular, the recovery plans which are already existing are very different. Recovery plans already existing are essentially meant to help existing enterprises, existing business models to survive the impact of COVID-19, of lockdowns, of a recession frequently without targeting particularly a better recovery, a greener recovery. Some countries do that globally. Uh, We are cooperating, for example, in Thailand, which is moving into that direction, but few and far between. What we expect, though, to happen is with more and more time passing, with that, with more and more possibility to actually Um, consider different alternatives, and with the recovery from COVID now seen as having a quite long um, trajectory, the movement towards increasing the resilience of economies is existing and is getting stronger. And here, circular economy is indeed an interesting candidate, probably the leading candidate to pick up to help making economies, making industries and enterprises more resilient than they have been before COVID. You've mentioned a few big themes along the way here, like reducing, uh, repairing, (laughs) reusing or recycling. There's the other part of all of this, I suppose, is this internationalization of trade and consumption. So when we look at these global trade or these global value tr- chains and the way that all of our nations are now interlinked via trade, what does all that mean for the circular economy? And can even, a question without notice, you know, can the circular economy function effectively cross-border? I think the the actual transmission belt for a circular economy, bringing it to international recognition and to international impact and spreading it around the world is straight. Um, of course, you can imagine a world without trade and then every country can have their own version of circular economy or not. But we are in a world with very strong trade relations and In the moment I do circular economy, of course, a producer of any good uh, is uh, not producing this good from scratch, from the original resource. They will be producing the goods out of components, typically. And these components come from somewhere, very frequently from abroad. In order to ensure that they comply with the same circular economy principles that I want to have, 
I need to somehow have those producing these components adhere to the same principles. And of course, as a buyer, um, as the um, end of the value chain buyer, I will, of course, insist that they do, and I will have my mechanisms to test if that is actually the case. This forces earlier tiers of the value chain to actually comply with circular economy principles as well, no matter in which situation their particular country is. And so along the value chains, circular economy is spreading and is spreading actively. This, of course, is massively accelerated when a very substantial region for trade, here the European Union, decides to move forward with transition to a circular economy, effectively making clear to everyone delivering into the European Union or delivering to companies which deliver their products into the European Union, that change is coming and that adherence to circular economy principles is necessary. And once you have in every country the crystallizing points for further advancement, one needs to keep in mind circular economy has economic advantages. People need to be convinced to change their current way of working. It's always a bias against change. That's very human. But in the moment you see things happening and they are getting better economically, companies have higher profits, have higher resilience, have better contracts, change starts to move out from single companies, from a few companies in the countries, to more and more and more. So for me, international trade is actually maybe the main means to bring circular economy to the world. It creates a driver for companies, and companies are the actors in this. It's not governments. Companies are the ultimate ones who have to move. And this creates a driver for companies to do so much better than programs of governments can possibly do it. But of course, then governments offer opportunities, offer guidelines, offer frameworks in which these companies can strive against, prompted by them, because they need certain framework conditions, regulations, whatever, in order for them to produce the products for a circular economy market. So I think trade, and in particular in, in uh, combination with this decision of the European Union to move towards circular economy in a very large way, is what will really change the world. But just on that very topic, we talk about governments or government organizations driving change. You've just mentioned about companies driving change. What role do the end consumers have? What role, if you're a user of a product, whether you're buying a television or you're buying a whatever, what role does you as, as a consumer have in all of this? A very strong role. Any consumer, wherever he is, uh, including, by the way, every postal worker, um, makes a decision when he buys a product and when he has a possibility to understand if his product can be repaired, serviced, extended its lifetime, if it has a residual value after five years or 10 and another product has none, then of course he will take that into account when buying something. Uh, on top of that, there is a very strong urge of many people to do the best for the planet. 
especially if there is no economic disadvantage. And this consumer interest, whether it's driven by advantages of the product, which are hidden and beyond its original purpose, or whether they are driven by the belief to want to contribute to a better world, this drives markets substantially. And this creates, of course, in the moment markets move, industries react in the products they are offering. I see consumers in the position to be able to substantially accelerate the move to circular economy. I believe the move will happen in any case, but uh, with a strong consumer interest and a strong consumer push, it will become so much faster and so much broader. Now, let's get to the postal aspect of this, because now that we've talked about all those different levels, the, the postal sector plays a role in all of that, especially with the rise of e-commerce. It's the postal sector that's getting these goods into people's hands. So what can the postal sector and indeed the individual postal operators do to support the shift towards the circular economy? Well, firstly... All service industries, including the postal sector, have typically themselves a substantial potential to introduce circular economy principles and practices into their service delivery. This includes the use of renewable energy, reusable or, where not possible, recyclable packaging, reduction of packaging and packaging material, including maybe optimizing package handling, for example, in order to allow to reduce material use and packaging. Uh, another area is the offering where this is necessary of reliable and documented cold chains for perishable goods, like food, flowers, or vaccines. If you have less goods perishing, then evidently you have a higher resource efficiency. For many products, the postal sector and postal operators are also potent consumers. So if the sector demands itself that products are based more on circular economy principles, this changes dramatically the availability of such products. Companies, industries will just provide them and then not only to the postal sector. So the postal sector can facilitate change in certain subsectors of the economy simply by buying smartly and accordingly to circular economy principles. And then, of course, the circular economy will in itself create additional demands for the transport of goods, not only for spare parts, uh, with, for products which need repair, but uh, also for products which are being sent back. Because not everything uh, will be collected locally and stay locally. Many products will go back into remanufacturing centers somewhere or back to the manufacturer for refurbishing. You have that already today with computers. Uh, often manufacturers offer, if you buy a new computer, a discount, you send your old one in. And that is not only a rebate, this is actually a value that the manufacturer gains. All of this has to be organized for a lot of goods with a much lower value. It might be for T-shirts in the future, which have to be taken back. These logistics, these reverse logistics, are a tremendous task, but also a tremendous opportunity, in particular for postal operators and the postal system. And then, of course, there are the employees that I mentioned already before. The postal system has so many employees. 
if awareness can be raised in this group about circular economy, this goes already a long way in creating demand for circular economy products. Let's talk about the flip side of that, which is the, the gaps that currently exist or the hurdles that are there that prevent us from you know, realizing or even embracing all the benefits that are offered by the circular economy. So what can international actors like the UPU or your own organization do to help close these gaps? The main gaps at this point in time appear to me really in the advancement of the market for circular economy and in the logistics and in the business models with underlying logistics to make it happen. So here it is known and we all know that the postal sector has of course a very good relationship to the industry, to their large consumers also to smaller ones. And it is important to keep the eye out and to help with new business models, which is working with reverse logistics to new ways of documenting the transport and value, the transport process and the value going back to the original manufacturers or to anyone who wants to buy used goods. There are many opportunities for the postal service, but also for companies that they cannot realize without the postal service. The need to also work on logistical chains beyond borders is critical. Currently, um, there are no processes really set up to assess the value of in particular, used goods, and to allow trade across borders with a low level of risk involved for all partners. Here, the postal services can definitely develop business model and advance services to make that happen and to make trans-border trade of used goods not only normality, but a source of resources and refurbished products worldwide. Looking into your crystal ball now, if what would be your ambition for the world in, say, 50 years? And are there any other things that we haven't really covered today that, that we as individuals or as leaders of organizations can support this, do to support the shift towards a circular economy? I think what is particularly important to support the shift for circular economy is ambition to get there. I hope that we are coming to a way of looking at resources, which was maybe when I was young, I'm now 55, um, still, at least in my community, a pretty normal. We saw resources as being precious and repair as being normal. This has changed in the past decades, and we have lost sight a little bit of this way at, of looking at matters. And I think if we come back to looking at resources as something precious, something which has a higher priority than the extra effort to send something to repair, than the maybe slightly scratched first uh, uh, surface as compared to a new good. If we accept things as they are, I think we go a long way towards making circular economy happen. And I think in 50 years, given the pressures which are on us, circular economy will be 
as normal as today's linear economy with take, make, dispose is. It will become the standard. The trick is in this conversion to the standard to carry everyone along in a not only sustainable, but in an equitable way, in an inclusive way, which creates no losers, ideally, but mainly, if not only, winners. I think it is in the concept of circular economy to do so, and I hope that we manage in the next 50 years to get it done. The rest is enthusiasm and imagination of what's possible and willingness to change. If you have that, I don't have too many worries that this will come forward. And I think that's a wonderful note to end on. Stefan Sikars, Managing Director, Directorate for Environment and Energy at the United Nations Industrial Development Organization. Thank you very much for being on the UPU's voicemail podcast today. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Voicemail, the official podcast of the Universal Postal Union. Subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform and you'll get each episode downloaded to the device of your choosing as it's released. My thanks to the team at the UPU for their help putting together this episode. I'm your host, Ian Kerr, and I look forward to your company next time on Voicemail, the podcast of the UPU.